BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everyone. My name is Jack Rico, and thank you for listening to episode 38 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. This is the show for those of you who love to live on the intersection of American and Latino pop culture. It has been a busy week in entertainment. Actually, it's been one of those weeks where I can't remember probably since I began doing the podcast of how many Latino stories have come out in like in one week. Uh, You guys heard about the Michelle Rodriguez news. She's threatening to leave the Fast and Furious franchise if they don't give women better roles. Also uh, got an email that the New York Latino Film Festival has returned somehow from the dead and is now going to be opening up this October with the help of HBO. I've been watching the Confederations Cup. It's been a lot of fun to see these games. I'm not sure if you know already, but Chile is now in the finals. They're going to be facing Germany, who beat Mexico 4-1. to uh, Chile is on fire. I don't know what Chile has been doing uh, over there to their soccer players, but these guys are arguably one of the top five, top three best teams in the world right now. But this week, we're focusing on Spider-Man Homecoming and how everyone has been raving about how diverse it is. We're going to be talking to our intern, Andrea Huswan. Uh, she attended the press conference on our behalf here in New York City, and her diverse Latino question set off this like chain of events uh, that got picked up on NewYorkMagazine.com, NYMag.com, Huffington Post, Bustle, uh, a few other outlets were talking about it. Uh, we're also going to be previewing Univision's Premios Juventud with Hilda Garcia. She is the vice president of digital entertainment at Univision. And one of the things that I've noticed throughout their press releases is that they're coming out with the full arsenal of innovative elements uh, that I have seen in quite some time in award shows. They are establishing the event as one of the most modern award shows right now in Spanish language TV. But we begin with an interview with Miguel Arteta, the Puerto Rican director who filmed Salma Hayek's Beatrice at Dinner. It is considered the first movie of the Trump era, and we talk about the difficulties in making a movie with a Latina star, the single reason Latinas are connecting with the film more than men, and his explanation on one of the biggest beefs I have with the film, which is its controversial ending, it has angered and even baffled moviegoers. Miguel, bienvenido al Highly Relevant Podcast. ¿Cómo estás? Hola, Jack. ¿Cómo estás? Antes que todo, Bien. yo no sabía que tú hablabas español. Yo sabía que eras puertorriqueño, pero no, no sabía que hablabas español. Yo pensé que eras un puertorriqueño muy americanizado. Ah, 
no, no, no. Mi madre es española, mi padre es peruano. Así que mi español está, no está perfecto, pero sí está siempre conmigo. Do you identify yourself? How do you do, how do you identify yourself? Do you identify yourself as an American, a Puerto Rican, a Spaniard? I, I identify myself as Puerto Rican, but with the caveat that when I grew up there, uh, people didn't think of me as a Puerto Rican because of my accent. And how would you describe your accent then? It was a sort of a mix of Peruvian Spanish accent. <laughs> Which is pretty, pretty different than, uh, than, than Puerto Rican, you know. And so how does Hollywood view you? Because, you know, from, from the body of work that you do, Miguel, none of it really seems Latino or Puerto Rican or Hispanic in any way. They just seem like regular American stories. Like one of my favorite films from you, the one that resonated the most with me, was a movie you did with Michael Sarah called Youth in Revolt. Simply because oh, I like philosophy, I like the French culture, I like jazz and, and, and crooners. And so you had all those elements together. And I individually felt connected to the film. But, but in any way, never did I think Miguel Arteta is a Hispanic film director that's doing this film. You know, I just always thought that you were one of those people who say, look, I don't identify with any culture whatsoever. I'm just a guy who's living on earth, who's making films, period. <laughs> That's the way I always saw you. Well, you know, I think uh, my status as an outsider has helped me be a storyteller. You know, the fact that when I grew up in Puerto Rico, people didn't think of me as Puerto Rican. You know, is I sort of been like, I have always been on the outside looking in. And I think that's been helpful. That's helpful for telling stories because, you know, Uh, the, the reason I think I, we tell stories as humans way back from when we started doing it around the campfire is to feel less alone, uh, feel more connected to each other. And so people who, um, you know, who, who, ha who are outsiders tend to be people who are yearning to be more connected. And I think... It, I think it helps to tell a story. This is a film that's written by Mike White, but it's directed by you, and it's starring Salma Hayek. When you, with, with the direction of your camera, you're also telling a story. How much of who you are is connected in any way with this film? Um, you know, I feel very connected to Beatrice at dinner because it is really a, a movie in which we wanted to give the audience the feeling of what it's like to be an immigrant and an outsider. Uh, somebody that's uh, yearning for a better place and a better times and, and, and caught in a place where they cannot get that. You think that you can hide up here behind these gates and that everything is going to be all right? The world doesn't need your feelings. It needs jobs. It needs money. It needs what I do. The world doesn't need you. Doug is a great philanthropist. Shut up, Gus. Did you feel in any way uh, that that was you? Uh, definitely. Definitely, for sure. Like, you know, uh, uh, the, the feeling that she has... Uh, to want to try and do good, but it's frustrated that she can't, and that like she's living in a, in a place where there's people that she disagrees with who have power over her. You know, it's a feeling that I feel just as a citizen here in the United States. But um, you know, the 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 way that that movie works is that Beatrice and Doug Strutt, who John Lithgow plays his character. Both of them have a strength, a conviction that no, probably no human being has. Right. Um, they, they, they truly, truly, truly believe in compassion and in greed. And they both 
are feel very compelled to, to think that they have good reasons for what they do. Um, and I think like like I think like the, the other dinner party guests are more like the rest of us, which is like <laughs> we like to think of ourselves as good, as good people. We recycle, uh, but but like really, if you were to take our, our good life away, we would not be down for it. Um, I totally agree with that. Many have called this film the first movie of the Trump era. Do you see it that way? How would you describe the tone of this film? I think this movie is sort of a, a movie that's trying to talk about the cultural divide that we've been having, and that's something that we've been living through the last 40 years since the 60s. You know, really in the 60s and 70s is a time where our, our culture was at its most generous, where people cared about each other and about the rights of workers and, and, and cared about the truth. And ever since then, you know, consumer society has been dismantling all those priorities uh, to the point that people don't really care about the truth nowadays. And, and, and people really worship greed and compassion has very little place in our society. So the movie is about a, 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 a the cultural shipwreck and divide that we're in, and um, and what, what the brilliance of Mike White's script is that he set it in a very casual environment, one that we can all relate to a dinner party. Right, right. Uh, you know, we we'll, we've all been at a dinner party stuck with somebody that uh, <laughs> that we don't want to be talking to. So, like, it was a great way to to make it, make it entertaining and tense and relatable as opposed to just talking about ideas. Well, that was actually what I was going to talk to you about. The engine of this film, to me, is its verbal and situational conflict. Do you feel that yeah. films that are dialogue-intensive like this one uh, are met with any resistance in today's tentpole Hollywood era? Well, you know, I, I believe that uh, independent movies are about the courage to respect the truth and honesty. And, you know, in spite of consumer society wanting, wanting corporations to take over everything, including Hollywood, uh, humans uh, still have a yearning to be told a message that's being told in an authentic and honest way, not with the interests of a corporation. And that's the brilliance of, 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 of and the reason that people yearn for, for uh, independent movies is because they're not made you know, at the beck and call of a, of a corporation. If people, we have a yearning for an honest and authentic story, and no matter what's happening in this society, you cannot squelch that, you know? You know, it's rare to see a Latina lead in a movie nowadays. Were there any concerns from investors about Sama being your lead? Did they want a white woman? Did they want a black woman? You know, um, uh, making a movie about a, a female Latina it's definitely hard, and there were no investors. In fact, nobody would, you know, I spent more than a year looking for the money, and nobody would, 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 uh, what was the, the feedback, Miguel? What was the feedback on it? The feedback was like the writing is amazing. Uh, this is very interesting, but we would need a very major star in the role of Doug Strout for this to happen, maybe. Uh, and we would give you no money to make it because we don't believe that this movie would be marketable. Oh uh, nobody said openly, like, you know, uh, just, you know, like, we don't believe that movies about uh, Latino women are going to have an audience. But, like, but they just, people wouldn't, were not willing to take the lead. So how were you able to persuade 
the people giving you the money to actually give it to you and, and, and move forward? Um, I didn't. Uh, Sama Hayek was making a movie with uh, this wonderful Canadian investors, Aaron and Brenda Gilbert from Braun Pictures. Uh, I, I think it's a movie called Drunk Paris. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a comedy with Alec Baldwin. And while she was shooting that, I think she took Aaron out to have tequilas every night. He <laughs> finally was like, "You know what? I'll give you. I'll give you the your small budget to go make your movie. I like it. I get it. I will do it." That's great. What does Sama bring to the table as an actress that you don't see in other actresses? Well, I, you know what? The reason that I love Sama for this part is because uh, even though she's known for her glamour, intelligence, it's, I mean her glamour and beauty. Like it's her intelligence, really that. I find leads in her life and also her empathy and uh, her hard work ethic and her willingness to tell the truth. You know, she has all this quality. Like if we wanted to represent what the immigrant experience in America is, it is not what people think of it. You know, we are not like, you know, easily manipulated, like, you know, people that, you know, uh, 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 we are hardworking intelligent mm-hmm. uh, and uh we have a lot more empathy than the, the culture in general and uh and we are willing to tell the truth you think killing is hard try healing you can break something in two seconds but it can take forever to fix it sounds like you have a pretty tough job i think that fate brought us together for what i don't know revenge maybe one of the notable moments of the films in my particular uh case was its resolution what did you yourself think about it, and have you heard any comments on it? Yeah, uh, you know, we, we uh, Mike and I wanted to have an ending that was unusual because uh, in in studio movies and, and, and sadly also in independent movies, as Americans, we have gotten really, really, really used to having our endings, our endings be pre-digested for us. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and we 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 didn't want to do that, you know. We loved movies from the seventies, like Batlands, where, where you know, where the filmmakers tell you a story, but they don't tell you what to think of it at the end. Why is that, and, Miguel? Why? Be, I I just feel like if you go down the route where you leave it, where you leave an ending up to the audience to figure out, to have their own self interpretation of it. A, you're complicating the audience's experience. B they leave the theater with a sense of incompleteness because they don't know what the truth is. What was the director's original uh, statement that he wanted to make? Why is that a choice that a lot of directors are doing nowadays that you feel is fulfilling and satisfying for you? For me, if you think about the movies about, you know, about the fact that like, uh, you know, you know, compassion almost has no place in this, in this, in this culture and that like the people who feel entitled to abuse power feel like every, they have every right to to do it. Uh, and I are winning. There is no, you know, like I, 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 when I tell people, what do they think of our ending and, and they have a complaint, I always say, tell me what would be the satisfying truthful ending. Right. We could have offered a pat, bogus sense of hope, uh, and we probably the movie would have made a lot more money. But 
you know, that's not, if you watch the, the movie, that's not the kind of movie, you know, I feel like I have a trust with our audience that we're having a movie that is funny and is tense, but it's also very honest about the sense of helplessness that we're living in. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, to offer a sort of a pat ending or even a, a, a false sense of like control, you know, uh, would have been betraying the character of Beatrice. And we didn't want to do that. Uh, and I also really think it's important for people more than ever, you know, we're trying to make a movie that says our culture has drifted to a place where we don't think for ourselves. We have a lot mm -hmm. of consumer society to let us be so apathetic and cynical and have very little outrage about the truth. And uh, the big question is, how do you turn this cult cultural shipwreck around? It's very hard. After We've been bred as consumers. We've been born with being people being told, no, 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 we want to know. You've got to tell us what to think. We don't want to think for ourselves. We want to be selfish. We want to be, we want to do all these things that are very good for buying things. And so if you're going to make a movie that's lamenting that, you can't like spoon fed an ending. You have to really be like, sorry, folks. It's time <laughs> for you to start thinking for yourself. Wow. Okay. You've got to think for yourself. Last couple of questions. Number one, um, was this movie, have you been getting any uh, Hispanic audience feedback? Uh, the reason I say that is because Hispanics are the number one movie-going demographic in the United States. The film's directed by a Hispanic, and the lead is a Hispanic. Though it doesn't feel like a Hispanic film. It feels like an American film. Are Hispanics interested in the film, and what are their thoughts? Oh, definitely. You know, uh, Latinos uh, understand the movie better, and uh, they have been traveling to to uh, movie theaters that they don't usually go to, you know, to see the movie. Uh, I think when Latinos see the trailer, they know, like, okay, here's a movie that might speak to what it feels like to be an immigrant in this country. Mm -hmm. And uh, and uh, the response has been very moving. Um, especially Latino women have been coming up to me crying and saying, this really does capture what it feels like. Wow to be a Latina in America today. Especially within those circles, yeah. Um, yeah yes, and even almost anywhere, because if you're, if you're a Latina in America, you do know what it's like to feel like um, coming face-to-face -face with people who make decisions for you, and people who feel like you should just accept that. And um, um, so it, uh, it, it's been... Very, uh, you know, I think the success that the movie's having is, is driven by the Latino audience. Speaking of that, uh, CAA put out a new diversity study that said that movie movies make more money when the cast is at least 30% diverse recently. It was an LA Times article on it. Did you read it? And if so, what was your reaction to that study? I haven't read it, but I've known that, you know, ever since The Matrix. The Matrix? Yeah, for sure. The Matrix, you know, The Matrix was the first blockbuster that embraced, you know, like, uh, 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 you know, uh, the success of Keanu Reeves has a lot to do with that he's, like, a little bit, like, not totally white. <laughs> and, right. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, and Lawrence Fishburne, and, and, and that was the first sort of, like, blockbuster movie that in some ways reflected Americans, like, multicultural background in a way that like people really responded to that and uh, it was very clear to me 
when those movies came out that like all right we we've passed the tipping point where americans you know as a, as a whole you know don't feel white miguel arteta thank you for being on the podcast the name of the movie is beatrice at dinner starring salma hayek and it's in theaters right now miguel thanks for being on the show thank you Jeff. take care It's time for Jack Dinn. Let's begin with the top movie news of the week. Queen of the South actress Alicia Braga is replacing Rosario Dawson as Dr. Cecilia Reyes in Fox's new X-Men spin-off movie. The new Batman movie will be a stylish crime drama. Warner Brothers is developing The Accountant sequel. Jumanji starring The Rock and Kevin Hart has a new trailer. The Oscars invited 774 new voting members, 39% female and 30% people of color. And head over to our website, showbizcafe.com, and read a review of Edgar Wright's Baby Driver. We think it's one of the best films of the year so far. In TV news, former Latina Glee star Naya Rivera will star in a step-up revival on YouTube Red this fall. HBO has announced that Game of Thrones Season 7 will have two episodes over an hour long. Jimmy Fallon's The Tonight Show returns to the top spot on late-night TV. Greta Van Susteren is out at MSNBC. Sci-Fi Plants Tremors reboot starring Kevin Bacon. Netflix cancels Girl Boss after one season. And Marvel's Inhuman series on ABC just got its first trailer. Listen in. If we were on Earth, we would have a glorious planet to live on. Thrive on! You're talking about betraying your brother. You're talking about treason. You're blind to his intentions. Right or wrong, he's dangerous. What I'm talking about is freedom. Freedom for all inhumans. Switching over to music, Shakira's new El Dorado World Tour will begin in Germany on November 8th and begin in the USA at Orlando, Florida, January 9th, 2018. Jennifer Lopez's third Spanish-language single, Ni Tu Ni Yo, with Gente de Zona, will release this July 4th. Adele says she may never tour again. Lady Gaga announces the return of her Bud Light Dive Bar Tour, and Jay-Z releases his new album, 444. Here's a quick listen. Uh. Letter to my dad that I never wrote Speeches I prepared that I never spoke Words on the paper that I never read and in digital and social media news, Apple Maps is getting an upgrade and will feature 3D flyover tours. Facebook's new programming approach is aimed at audiences from 13 to 34 that avoids politics, news, nudity, and rough language. Instagram starts using artificial intelligence to moderate comments, and Snapchat now allows exact location sharing. Okay. You know, one of the biggest complaints I've had against Spanish language award shows is is this misguided perception that Spanish language Latinos don't listen or don't like English language music. You're going to tell me when you see the YouTube videos of thousands and thousands of Mexicans packing Estadio Azteca singing in English at the top of their lungs at a U2 concert that it was all a hoax? Come on. You know, this is one of the reasons I gave up watching Latino award shows. They just didn't get it until now. So Univision's new Premios Juventud show, which is airing next Thursday, July 6th, is one of the reasons I'm coming back to watch them. Iggy Azalea and Joe Jonas from DNCE, they're going to be performing at the show. And mind you, they're performing for a bilingual, bicultural U.S. Latino audience. And honestly, I think that's super cool. 
to break down why and how Univision has embraced bilingualism in their Premios Juventud award show. I have on the phone right now Hilda Garcia. She's the vice president of digital entertainment at Univision.com. Hilda, thanks for being on the Highly Relevant Podcast. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here with you. This year's award show seems light years ahead of every single award show uh, that I have seen in the Hispanic market, and even in some English award shows as well. What is it that you guys are doing this year that has pushed the measuring bar so high? Well, something that I can tell you is that uh, we are giving the fans the exclusive content on the nominees along with daily features, special video franchises with the stars, photo slideshows, and interactive content through our webpage. But we understand that it was not the, un- the, the only thing that we were going to be able to do because we wanted to reach other audiences. And something that is very important is that we, uh, Univision is bringing the whole new level of multi-platform engagement, no? giving mm-hmm. the access through all the platforms that we can reach. I mean with this. We have, for example, um, Instagram stories. But it's not just to tell the people with through Instagram stories what's going on in Premios Juventud this year. The thing is that we are producing specific content for them through a very cool uh, content uh, through two social hosts that we have. So that it's Instagram, it's, uh, sorry, it's PJs for one one. Mm-hmm. So that's very interesting because we have the Instagrammer community. At the same time, we have the Facebook community because we are offering other kind of content to them. And we have uh, an agreement, uh, a partnership with Musical.ly that we are working with them. You know oh, that wow. Very- I love Musical.ly. It, I just yes, discovered actually, it not too so long it. ago. And I was like, I think that some of the most talented people in social media are not on Snapchat necessarily. They're not necessarily on Instagram. I think the true talent of social media is on Musical.ly. That's very interesting that you say that because uh, when we were trying to build all these multi-platform environment, right. we were to say, hey, we want to try to reach different audiences. It's not just the TV audience. It's not just the Facebook audience. Is that what's going on in this music environment and what's happening with these youth people, because it's really quite, if you want to reach them, you need to talk to them, but at the same time to be with them. Right. So that's the reason we looked to Musical.ly. We started to work with them. And then we decided uh, we're going to have different categories to, 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 to the, uh, for this. Uh, uh, you guys rehauled. You guys overhauled the whole Premios Juventud. This is like a brand new reset button, right? You guys are basically kind of starting from scratch. It's very millennial, almost Generation Z-like, I would say. And my question is, who was the one that said we have to basically implode this and and start from the beginning? So the reason that we are doing this is like uh, we are working together, all the teams here. So is that the most important thing is that you are not talking just about one platform. In this case, we joined the two teams. The production team from the show, ah, that is special. Huh. we work with Linear, all the production team for TV, the music team, and also the digital team. And the most important thing here is that we were from the very beginning in the concept. It was not that you are doing something in TV and then you are going to promote through social media. Yes, that's the, the way thing, it's always been before. Exactly, because the thing that we wanted to do is like the cross, it's not a cross promotion either. Is like a cross experience among all the properties 
to try to reach different audiences. Because something that has happened, and you know that because you work in the media, mm -hmm. is that all the audiences are fragmented at this moment. So Absolutely. you don't have just one. And not everybody is in just one platform. So that's the reason we wanted to reach people on TV, the Instagrammers, the Facebook people, at the same time, the Snapchat people, and musically. And I guess, as you were saying, uh, uh, regarding the musically thing, is that in the partnership that we built, is that one of the categories that is going to be the chilling challenge, no? So the, with this category, we are inviting all the musers that you know that are the followers for Musical.ly. Right. So these musers are going to be submitting the, the song that they feel that is going to win. After we have the winner, we are going to mention that on TV, and we are going to choose the best performance or the best submission from these musers, and we are going to air them. So I guess that this is interesting awesome. because you are going to have this cross-promotion or the cross-experience, as I told you before. That's great, Hilda. Um, from what I understand, uh, the award categories this year compared to other years before is they're, they're basically kind of new. It's best song for singing, best fashionista, best song for dancing, best Instagram, which I thought was really yes. interesting uh, since you don't own Instagram, but I think it's you've decided to pick that over Facebook, over Twitter, over Snapchat. Um, and I'm interested, and I'll ask you in a bit why Instagram and not the other ones. Uh, and then you have Breakthrough Artist. When you look at these categories, I don't know any other award show that has these categories. You're literally creating a brand new award show for a brand new generation. How, do you, how did you get best Instagram and not the other ones? Well, this is something very interesting because we understand and we know that Instagram reach and engage uh, among all the Latinas, Latinos that are very, very social. And something that is happening in the music industry is that most of the artists are very engaged with their fans through Instagram. So that's the reason we mm. say, do you know what? Is that we should do something with the Instagrammers because they are very, very related to the music uh to the, well, to all these artists that are going to perform in the in the show, so that that kind of thing is you know what we have a lot of nominees, and when you were to their pages, it was very interesting because we were like choosing some of the nominees, mm -hmm. and then you were, for example, in YouTube, and they have like a lot of followers and a lot of viewers, and at the same time with Instagram, mm -hmm. and with Instagram the difference is that they were very engaged with their fans. So that's the reason we, we decided. For example, if you go to the Maluma page, you can find that they have like more than 25 million of followers. Right, yeah. So how is it going to be like a category with like this? So because you know and you understand that they are very, very engaged. Uh, so the other thing that is interesting, and you were saying new categories, I love this one that is uh, regarding like La Troca. So the, music, the best music <laughs> for La Troca. That is a very Latino thing too because you understand it's like, we have different places or different uh, cities, and you have different, um, how can I say, approach to the music. Right. So you have like the South, the West Coast, but something that is very interesting for the Latino community is that we find out all these, uh, well, for part of the audience that we have in the radio stations too and in the TV, but it's like you have all these truckers that are listening the music all the time that we are promoting in our radio stations mm -hmm. and in the TV. So that's the reason we decided to do this category too. As you can see, uh, and you say it's very in advance, but is that really we want to do something that really can be 
important for our community. So one of the other things that I thought that was very interesting on the end of Univision and what you guys are doing with Premios Juventud is that uh, for the first time, and I'm sure you've done this before, but th this finally feels like it's official. You guys are taking Premios Juventud and you're making it American mainstream. You're bringing in Iggy Azalea, which is a female rap star. She does not speak Spanish. She doesn't sing in Spanish. Yes. She doesn't have any Hispanic recordings that have hit the radio. She is strictly an English language rap star. The reason we are doing this is because when you say that we want to connect with younger Hispanics, it's not only the millennials. It's that we want to reach the GNC that are more connected with this kind of music too. Right. And that they have is also because they are connected in this country, but at the same time, they want to reach their origin. This should have happened 10 years ago, and I'll tell you why, okay? I'm Colombian. I was born in New York, okay. but I lived in Barranquilla, Colombia. Where, where are you from? Okay, I'm from Mexico. Okay. <laughs> I'm from Mexico. I live in New York and oh. in Miami. <laughs> okay, so you remember when I was in Colombia, living in Colombia, and when you were living in Mexico, did you ever listen to English language music when you were in Mexico? Yes, but it was very difficult to have the approach. So in Colombia, in Colombia, there was a uh, a, a radio station in Bogota that was called Radioactiva, and all they mm -hmm. did was play English language music for Colombianos, and that was because yes. back in the '90s there was this whole appreciation of American music. And I think exactly. it's one of the, it's one of the greatest things that America has ever given the world. It's the it's the export <laughs> of entertainment, and music is one huge thing. So when I was in Colombia, I was listening to English language artists, and my friends who do not speak English were singing. I mean, they didn't know what what it what it meant. They would ask me, "Hey, can you write it for me so I can phonetically, you know, pronounce it and I can sing it myself." And so when I came back to New York, I noticed that Univision and Telemundo did not believe that Mexicans or Colombians or Latin Americans would want English language music. And I think that's the farthest thing from the truth. I think Latin Americans, especially kids, love English language music. And if they're leaving their home country to come to the United States... It's only a part of what they already listen to. So to not give them that is foolish for me. So the fact that you guys are finally correcting this and in integrating English language music and Spanish language music together in one show, that's just awesome. I, I, I have to applaud you for that. I love it. I wish I came up with it and helped you guys do it. But you guys have been doing a great job with this. So Yes, and this is because we are bilingual and the same thing is that we are bicultural. And you say that. And sometimes, as you were saying, it's not just that we are listening music in, as you say, in Barranquilla no, or in other places. Mm -hmm. It's that really we are very open to listen to other things. It's not just, you don't need, you don't need to just uh, like have a close environment about the things that you used to be living is that really we are very open to listen to other things. And something that, uh, and, and you were saying about this kind of bicultural, bilingual, and something that I hadn't told you is that something different this year too is the, our new slogan. The slogan is that we want to celebrate what the people like, I mean the young people like. Mm -hmm. We recognize what they are concerned about and for the first time, they are going to have their idols that are going to be awarding or recognize them. 
And the thing is that we are building something that is important is to recognize six young people under the 30s that are very committed with the community, that are related to uh, issues like education, immigration, empowering women, climate change. So, so you're attaching very, very this. You're attaching this with social causes as well, which exactly. many award shows don't do. <laughs> I, it's just I can't. Exactly. I can't even begin <laughs> to think. I mean, I don't know who is over there. This team that you got together figured it out and said, "Look, screw it. We're, we're not going to do what we did before." I don't know if you got focus groups or feedback or constructive criticism. I don't know what happened, but you guys really kind of just overhauled the show. I have no complaints. Do you understand that? My whole job is yeah, to no, criticize. I, I love the idea. I can't if find any criticism. <laughs> <laughs> if you say that, this is going to be a success. Well, you were saying something that is very interesting because you say something changed. And the thing that changed is that we are trying to see what happened, what is going on, what's happening because we cannot be doing the same things that we used to do because the, the time and the people and the way to communicate change. So you are not going to be just doing one screen and then just a cross promotion. As I told you, all the conversations are going on in digital and maybe you have a favorite platform. I have another one and that's the way that we are trying to reach people and they don't need to have just one promotion or one thing mm -hmm. because you lose of the people that you want to reach. I guess that that's very important. That and actually something uh, that I guess that you are going to like, and maybe you can invite the rest of the listeners you have, is that we are building like a selfie wall with more than 50 <laughs> celebrities. <laughs> nice. So, that's so cool. Yes. And we love it because it's like we did with a hashtag, I stand up for. So, and the thing is, for example, you have Shakira, Luis Coronel, Gerardo Ortiz, Residente, uh, Danny Ocean, Victoria Lamala, Natalia Lafourcade, all these celebrities, and they put their own selfie, and then if you flip the picture in the website, you are going to find out what they are standing up for. And it's very cool because they really they have a commitment or they have other interests that are not just the music industry or the shows that we see or the way that we see them. Right. Now I guess that this very different to the show as you were mentioning. Premios Juventud will air live on Univision Network Thursday, July 6th with Noche de Estrellas pre-show starting at 7 p.m. Hilda Garcia, Vice President of Digital Entertainment at Univision, thank you so much for coming on the show. Guys, if you're listening, check it out. It's finally an award show meant for us. So, thank you, Hilda. Uh, Appreciate that, it. That's, that's real. I really appreciate your work. Thank you so much. And hopefully everybody watch it in all the platforms that they want. It doesn't matter which platform you know. We have this multi-platform environment for everybody. Thank you so much, Jack. Thanks, Hilda. Bye-bye. Before we talk Spider-Man Homecoming, here are some new songs you might want to add to your playlist this July 4th weekend. Don't Quit, DJ Khaled, Calvin Harris, Travis Scott, Jeremiah. Dilo Como Yo, Chico Man.
Estamos happy y legales. And joining me now is our intern for Showbiz Cafe, Andrea Huswan. Hi, Andrea. Hi, how are you, Jack? Good. So, uh, first press conference, I assume? Yes, first one. <laughs> All right. So, we, I send you the email. Yes. And I go, hey, uh, Andrea, uh, would you be interested in attending the Spider-Man Homecoming press conference in New York City? <laughs> and you were like, What? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think I scare my family with me screaming about Spider-Man just because he's one of my favorite superheroes. Wait a minute, so so so, so you've been a Spider-Man fan for a long time now? Yes, since I was like little. Get out of here. Okay, cool. What is it about Spider-Man that you like? I don't know. I just think of how dorky and like his humor is that I relate to it because I'm kind of like him in a way. You're the female Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. You're the you spider girl. I guess you can say that. <laughs> you know what? With so much diversity going on and so many feminists coming out of the woodworks to create female stories, uh, it's really influenced kind of like the way we look at, uh, at film nowadays. I mean, look at Wonder Woman. It's like $627 million worldwide right now. First, uh, it's the highest grossing film for a female director in the world. So there might be a spider girl. I mean, there's no reason why we can't have female versions of these male superheroes you know exactly and i mean if sony and marvel are willing to cast me i'm open for that so. <laughs> <laughs> well listen uh i don't think they're listening to the podcast at the moment but they soon will i'm gonna put it in the right hands to those uh to to, to amy pascal and everybody else but let's, let's talk about uh the press conference so you got in you sat down and uh, who was there on the panel everyone that was everyone was there um there was robert downey jr tom uh, holland himself um tony rivoli um uh, it was like the producer, the director, everyone was there. That is so cool. Now, were you starstruck at any moment when you saw any of these guys? As soon as Tom Holland and Robert Downey Jr. walked in, everybody just kind of like, <gasps> there was a was unanimous a like, silence, and we just stared at them walking by. Like, wow. our hands were clapping, but like, we couldn't. See, I find that, that's the that's like the weird, you know, social construct behavior that that we've created where it's just funny to me because Tom Holland, nobody knew him for the most yeah. part. The man was anonymous. So if you saw him walking down the street, you wouldn't have gasped or, you know, stayed starstruck. But because somebody put in your head, hey, by the way, he is Spider-Man now. Now there's like oh my God, it's Tom Holland. But like five minutes exactly. before he wasn't. So it's just so weird how we humans react. You know, that's why if you consider yourself anonymous people, don't worry about it. You know, it, it, it happens to, to a lot of people. Sometimes you're recognized, you know, for something you did at a party, you acted like a fool. Hey, you're the guy who acted like a fool. But, you know, anonymous sometimes it's temporary, you know, and it just doesn't really matter at the end of the day. So... Um, Robert Downey Jr. was there. He's one of my favorite characters. Was he as comical and witty as he is in real life uh, in oh, movies? He is. Yep. He is. Like, you didn't know whether to look at him or to whoever was answering a question at the moment because yeah. he was so involved in everything. Who got the most amount of questions? Mm, I want to say it was either Tom or, or Robert Downey Jr. 
They had like a fair amount. Yeah. Um, Marissa Tomei was there, right? Yes, she was. Still beautiful as ever, correct? <laughs> Gorgeous. Yeah. I mean, she plays uh, Aunt... Aunt... Uh, Aunt May. Aunt May. And to me, Aunt May's supposed to be old. But what yes. they've done with, with Aunt May now is they've made her like, you know, this beautiful, sexy sort of aunt. Uh, exactly. It's, it's an interesting take on what they want to do. But one of the big things about this press conference that got a lot of pickup on a lot of uh, media outlets was about the chat and the discussions about diversity. Can you tell me, you were there in the room, uh, how did the diversity questions come up? Because I know you were involved and you were picked up by Vulture, which is NewYorkMagazine.com's uh, entertainment section, Vulture. Uh, uh, you were picked up there, so which was awesome for you and for us. But how did the diversity conversation start with Spider-Man and why did it get so much pickup? I mean, uh, the moderator, Scott Manns, brought the attention to Latino actor Tony. And he asked him how did he feel to be working on this project compared to his previous uh, film. So that's how everything shifted to Tony. And he's like, I'm very fortunate to be a part of this great thing because we're casting a brown guy to play a usually cast a blonde, blue-eyed guy. Right. Flash Thompson's always been a Caucasian, pure, almost Aryan-looking jock uh, yeah. in the comic books. So. so then after he said that, I gathered some courage and raised my hand. All right. So you told me, I think you sent me either a text or an email. Right before you asked that question, you were telling me that you were you got a little nervous. Were you sweating? Were you, why were you <laughs> nervous? What was going on with you? I just felt like when I op once I would open my mouth, my question would not come out as I wanted it to. So I feel like I would think I'm saying a question, but I was just staring off into space with my mouth open. <laughs> and then you would so, freeze and everybody would yeah, laugh exactly. at you, right? Oh, so, my God. But no, thankfully, that didn't happen. I It came out perfectly. I asked him how did it feel to represent the Latino community in such a well-known comic book franchise. And this was a back-to-back -back question after Scott had yes, uh, an answer? Like right, yes, exactly. Right after Scott got his answer from him, I like raised my hand. So it looks like either Amy or Kevin Feige were like, yo, what is going on? Tony's getting all the questions. Hey, Robert, I'm so sorry about this. I know your ego and your diva man, you know, is not going to allow you to have Tony take all the questions. So everybody's like, hey, Tony. But yeah, like the fact that we got to uh, to quiet down Robert Downey Jr. for like a good five <laughs> minutes was something. You know what? The funny thing is, when you started talking about Tony Revolori, um, Tony is he, I saw him in obviously Grand Budapest Hotel, which most people know him there in that mm -hmm. film. Uh, I saw him in Table 19 as well. And the thing is that Tony, Tony gives off this Indian vibe. Yes. It's a very and Middle Eastern or Indian vibe. And you swore or swear that the dude is from the Middle East or India, but the guy's from Guatemala. He's a Latino exactly. actor. Can, what is his background exactly? He's from, um, he's of Guatemalan descent, so he's like really my neighbor because I'm from El Salvador, so I'm like, hey, wow, like so right next to each other. So, you know, I mean, the other Guatemalan who's a superstar is Oscar Isaac. Mm -hmm. He's already done Star Wars, and to me, he's one of the best actors we have in Hollywood. Um, he's going to be getting a lot more juicier, bigger roles, and that dude's going to win an Oscar in the next five to ten years. I can guarantee that, but it was great to get Tony 
to 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 really talk about what did he say? What were his answers about diversity and Latino representation? I loved his answer because he he basically said that he was really happy that his character didn't have like an elaborate background story, like this tragic thing that happened to his family or like this like negative stereotype. No, he was just being. He just happened to be Latino and he's playing this character. That's cool. Now, did you know that Tony was from Guatemala beforehand? I did not know that. When did you I find thought, out? Right after the movie. I, I'm like, he looks familiar from the movie because my mind forgot that he was in the Grand uh, Budapest Hotel. And so, he was also in Lowriders now that I remember. So, like, right after the movie, I like Googled the whole cast to see where they were from because, you know, when you're seeing a movie, you're like, he looks familiar. So I did that and I'm like, oh my God, he's from Guatemala. Crazy. Now, um, after that, there was a big applause moment portion of the press conference when I guess someone else asked Amy, Amy Pascal. And for those of you who don't know, Amy Pascal used to be the chairman uh, or president of Sony Pictures. So in this whole scandal that happened with uh, the North Koreans hacking into Sony, I'm, I don't know if you guys remember that whole incident uh, several years ago. Uh, she got demoted, and I think she kind of started her own production company. And one of the things that she still held on to was the Spider-Man property that's now being shared with Marvel Comics. So both of them are doing this movie together, but it's really more led and guided uh, by the Marvel Cinematic Studio minds. That's why Kevin Feige was a part of that. But somebody asked Amy Pascal a question, and her answer got an applause. What was the question? What was the answer? Uh, yes, someone else piggybacked off my question, and um, he's like, well, the buzzword is diversity nowadays. What inspired you to choose the cast that you choose? You chose? And she said that reality was that inspired her. It, it, this is what I've been talking about for almost a decade. America does not look like the movies. And the movies don't look like America. And there was a major disconnect. And it's because, and by the way, just my opinion. It's just my opinion. But if you're going to have white people in charge of what's on screen, white people are going to make the screen look like their lifestyle, their culture, or what they know. And if you put, let's say, blacks or Hispanics or Asians or Indians uh, leading something, then that influence is going to rub off on the screen. So, of course, you know, none of these movies look, you know, diverse in any way. But I think now with the CAA study that came out recently about diversity, uh, proving that there is, that, 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 that diversity actually creates box office profits, now you're talking that there's physical, tangible numbers that prove to anybody who is Caucasian or white that, hey, guys, the screen can't just be white. It needs to be reflecting all the colors of America, especially Queens in New York City. I think Queens is like one of the most diverse places in the world. They speak like over 400 languages just in Queens alone. Yeah, it's one of the it's the largest borough of New York City. It was ed- interesting. So I heard that everybody then applauded, you know, and, and they were kind of caught up in that. And that that was like a lot of the pickups that the press conference had was about diversity. That's pretty cool. Yeah, like after the press conference was over, I was hanging around for a little bit, trying to like gather my thoughts. Mm-hmm. And next thing I know, Tony's like right next to me, and I'm like, oh my god, I need to talk to him again. And so, what and did you he- ask him uh, off? Uh- I just. 
said hi and I thank you for like answering my question. And he's like, no, 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 thank you for asking that so I could shed some light into this topic. It's funny, Tony does not promote that he's Latino and there's several Latinos in Hollywood that do not promote that they're Hispanic. It's almost A, like they're ashamed of it because Oscar Isaac doesn't talk about it either. I had to kind of like pull teeth with him. I go, do you speak Spanish? He goes, yeah, yeah, I do. But again, it's more like, can we cut it short? Because I really don't want everybody to know that. I don't know if they think that directors or studios or producers will look at them differently if they promote their Hispanic heritage, which should be the other way around. And hopefully we're coming to a point where being non-white actually becomes a point of pride where people actually might be wanting to hire more people of color than actual white. So it's an interesting time that we're going through. Now, you had a chance to see the movie. Uh, We're going to do a full-out movie review next week when the movie comes out July 7th. But briefly, what can you tell me about what you saw? Did you like the film? I love the film. This is a diverse Spider-Man for today's diverse society. And I loved it. Excellent. How does it compare to the other Spider-Man films? The one with Tobey Maguire and then with Andrew Garfield? Uh, I feel like, yeah, I feel like, I love the Andrew Garfield ones, but I feel like Tom Holland knocked them out of the water. Like Really? He, yes. I mean, he looks like a high school student. He acts like a high school student. It wasn't like he had to like, act to be relatable. That's true, because the original comic books with Spider-Man, they were all, it was like, like an 18, 16-year-old Peter Parker. And yeah. so the Tobey Maguire never looked like a high school student. <laughs> no. Andrew Garfield kind of did at moments, but... The, he was, I don't know, I, he just looked a little older than 16. But Tom, I think Tom's older, but Tom looks 16. He sounds 16 too. And he yeah, acts Tom, like he's 16 in the movie. Exactly. Like he was so relatable because he's going through high school. And like mm-hmm. you see, you remember high school. Of course. So we- <laughs> Warts, pimples and all. It was really easy to see high school from his perspective. It wasn't forced. Like you didn't, you didn't have to be like, okay, I'm going to pretend that this kid is actually a high school student. Andrea, uh, thank you so much for attending the press conference on our behalf. Uh, I'm glad you got to meet Tony, and I'm glad you got to ask a question. I know that uh, you know for you, this is the first time doing this as an intern, and I think one of the great things about being an intern at a media outlet is that you start overcoming certain fears of uh, of, of public. <laughs> Uh, speech uh, of speaking in public, etc. Right? Yeah, it's because it's so much different than like raising your hand in a classroom to answer a question than <laughs> in a press conference. <laughs> Absolutely. So, guys, you can uh, check out our article. It's on showbizcafe.com uh, where uh, Andrea talked to Tony. We got the Q and A. Uh, we were picked up, I think, uh, uh, by Vulture. But it was also the talk of diversity on Huffington Post, Bustle, a lot of outlets. And there's also a Facebook page where you can see our intern, Andrea, talk to the the press. Uh, It's all there. So uh, you can check it out. It's on showbizcafe.com. Andrea, thank you so much. No problem. Bye, Jack. See you guys around. That's it for episode 38 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I'd like to thank Miguel Arteta, Ilda Garcia, and Andrea Huswan for joining me on the show this week. And thank you guys for taking the time out to listen from your favorite streaming platform wherever you may be. 
If you like this U.S. Latino podcast, please share it on your social media apps. Tell your friends about it, and if you can, have them subscribe to the show. It depends on you to help us get the word out. Also, enjoy your 4th of July weekend and stay connected with us via showbizcafe.com. See you next week on another episode of Highly Relevant! Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.